0: Love Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Ray Penny with New Jersey School Board Association. Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Educators on the COVID nineteen Frontline. Uh, later on, we'll be speaking with uh, the superintendent of the North Warren Regional School District, uh, Sarah Bellotti. Um, but if you want to participate, there's two ways that you can participate. If, you, if she mentions something, you can call one. Three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four and press the number one, um, or you can just uh, log on to the uh, the chat room that uh, Blog Talk Radio has. You do have to register with Blog Talk Radio, but there's no fee for that. So uh, as we've been we've been speaking about uh, to all types of superintendents and educators throughout the the state of New Jersey, into it's a diverse state. Um, North Warren, uh, I'll have uh, Sarah. Uh, describe North Warren, but it's more of a rural district than uh, some of the ones that we had in Essex and Hudson and other places. So welcome, Sarah. How are you?
1: Good. How are you? Thank you for having me.
0: Good. So, so um, um, just for those people who are in another part of New Jersey, uh, what it, what's North Warren like?
1: Hi. I love this question. Um, so North Warren is on the northernmost point of Warren County, and we actually have the Appalachian Trail traverses the entire top part of our district. So it's very rural. It's beautiful. Um, we were one of the first towns in the nation to be named an Appalachian Trail support town. Um, so, you know, a lot of the culture is very um, nature-driven. We have 110 square miles uh our, that's, that's how large our district is, um, and that encompasses uh, the Delaware Water Gap, through the Appalachian Trail, and down into Blairstown, Knowlton, Frelinghuysen, and Hardwick Townships. So it's, it's a really gorgeous place to live and a gorgeous place to work, um, definitely on the rural end. Um, but, yeah, we, we, we love it up there, and it's, it's, it's very unique in its geography.
0: It, it is, and I will uh, say I've been up there, and it is uh, – sometimes you forget you're in New Jersey when you're there. Um,
1: yeah, it's really pretty. It, it could be anywhere
0: in New England or Maine or something like that. Yep. Uh, no, it's very true. Uh, one of the things I would um, – you know, when this, uh, when we had to go to the school closings and, uh, you know, we heard about the COVID-19, what were your first thoughts when uh, you started getting word of this? Uh, your first steps.
1: Yeah. So actually our geography was one of the first things that we thought about. Um, We have a history of power outages when it is stormy. um, And we notably have difficulty connecting to the internet where we are. And so part of the township, um, part of the townships connect via a dial up service. And then the rest of the township has a more, Um, You know, a a more robust cable modem service. So while everybody, um, mostly everybody had internet in their home, that internet was spotty. So as Mm. we were looking at the reality of, are we going to need to close and what can we do? um, We quickly surveyed our kids and we asked kind of how they would connect. And we found that most of the students – now, we're a 712, so we're middle school, high school. Um, most of the students had access to a smartphone and did have cell service. So the other issue with being along the Appalachian Trail, there's a ridge at the top of the mountain, and on that ridge, there's really limited cell service. So between having um, the Internet in your home and cell service, we realized that we were going to have to find a solution that really came in under – Um, two megabytes per second, which I know gets a little technical, but we needed to find something that was very low bandwidth. And we needed to find something that kids could theoretically do on their cell phones. Because remember, at first we were thinking this was going to be a short-term closure. So we thought, what can kids do on their cell phones as a stopgap if they can't get on the Internet for one reason or another? And we found that every kid had a device in their home that they could use, and every kid had access to the Internet in some way. So um, we looked at all of the different platforms that were available, Zoom, Google Meets, You know, WebEx, and we found that Zoom actually has a, um, you can get away with a 1.75 megabyte per second speed and still connect to the audio of Zoom. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. we realized that that would probably be the only platform that we could consider um, because we needed something that had that tiny, tiny bandwidth to make sure that even the kids who had the dial-up connection could get on. Um, So we very quickly um, looked at training our staff on Zoom. So within the matter of, you know, maybe three days, we got all of our staff signed up. We gave them a quick tutorial. Um, and, you know, we, we told them to prepare for if we were to close um, in the following weeks that this is what we would likely be using as our video platform. And then we did an analysis of we've had um – we've actually had one-to-one devices for the past uh, three years, and we started in our seventh grade, and we've been rolling them up. So all of our seventh, eighth, and ninth graders have one-to-one devices, and all of our middle school teachers and some of our high school teachers have already been trained in different – Tech approaches, specifically the use of Google Classroom, and so Google Classroom also has a low enough bandwidth that we thought between Zoom and Google Classroom we could probably get this done. So we scrambled to have um, to to ensure that every single class, even gym class, even um, art class. Some of these classes that didn't traditionally use Google Classroom because it, it didn't really lend itself well to their environment, we made sure that every class had a roster of kids signed up and that every kid in every class knew how to get on their classroom. And we did that the week before we closed. So we tried to get ahead of it, and we tried to really think about what do our students need and how can we meet them there with students with our technology. And so that ended up actually being pretty successful for us. We're, we still are using zoom and we still are using Google classroom as our base, um, kind of our base communication tools. Um, and obviously as we've moved on, we've, we've added to that, but um, I think really, you know, the thing that helped us, I think get a jump on this was to think about bandwidth and to think about how our kids actually connecting Um as we moved into this further, obviously we realized this is going to be a little bit longer than two or three weeks. And so we reassessed our situation. Um, and my super smart IT department, um, they're just they're so creative, they think outside the box, um, they're they're just amazing. They actually were able to um, sort of piecemeal together all of the spare laptops that we had in the building. So all of the Chromebook carts, all of the laptops that we used for testing, all of our kind of older laptops that we don't necessarily rotate through on a normal basis. Um, They were able to piece them together, and then they reached out to one of our vendors and they asked if our vendor had any new old stock laptops, and we were able to find, um, you know, several dozen uh, laptops that are still in the box, still unwrapped, but are three years old, so not super marketable, so we were able to get them for just under $100 a unit. And so through those two initiatives, I know, we were able to actually outfit our entire student body with laptops uh, by, I think it was by week four or five. So we kind of shifted that. So then we went to a more robust one-to-one environment um, and we gave the kids devices. So not every student that didn't have a laptop opted to take one of ours because some of them had already figured out other solutions, but the majority of kids, Gladly accepted an additional device. The other thing that we did is some of our kids who really had that very limited low internet, we actually were able to supplement that with a hotspot. So even though technically all of our kids had internet connectivity from the start, we knew that some of them were really limited. And we did give them the hotspots so that they could participate more fully. Um, they could use their video function in Zoom. They could watch videos. They could upload more. Um, I'm not saying it's perfect because we still have connectivity issues throughout our region. Um, but it certainly is a lot better than it was. And I think that using these platforms that have a limited bandwidth has been helping a lot as well. Um, I mean, we still have issues. I, I got a text two hours ago that it looked like one of our townships hardwick was uh the power was out and the internet was out in the whole township so i mean it's just, yeah is those things happen with, and the teachers know that so we try we're trying to be flexible um you know and we're trying to ask questions when kids don't hand in assignments to find out why but that's kind of like what we did to start to sort of make sure that the technology that we had would work um and, and you know that that's what like we'll
0: you saw that as your biggest challenge. How did you communicate your, yeah. your moves to parents? Uh, and I guess to the staff too, though, because they probably were probably caught a little off guard as well.
1: Yeah. We, uh, we started communicating to the staff the week prior to closure with, Hey guys, like nothing's set in stone, but we see this coming and we're very concerned that any minute we might get a call that, we're going to close. So, um, you know, we, we started that conversation early um, and we tried to not freak people out, but at the same time, get people started to think about what will I need if I'm home. Um, so I think that helps us. The other thing that we've done, and I'll talk about staff first. The other thing that we've done with staff that I think has really helped, one of the, um, one of the main kind of pillars of our Uh, Our vision through this has been consistency and simplicity. We've tried to be very consistent to create routines for both our staff and our students um, and to sort of simplify our approach. So that kind of went along with our communication as well. We've tried to make our communications be single-focused. We've tried to not overwhelm uh, parents or staff with communication. Uh, One of the things that we did, I'm a huge proponent of of social media. We typically put out hundreds of photos on our social media a week. We actually Mm -hmm. um, locked that down uh, when we started this so that the only communications that people were getting were the targeted communications from the district office or the the principal's office, because we were a little bit nervous about communication getting lost in the sauce. And we were very concerned about just the overwhelming amount of information that we were all receiving during those times. And we wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that we were we were kind of like slowing that down and targeting it. So we kind of turned off our social media photos photo feed, um, and we started just posting things that were relevant to home instruction. We posted a lot about student mental health. Um, that was one of our focuses, especially when we first started our first two or three weeks, I think, you know, every two out of three, Uh, communications we had to parents were focused on on mental health and the resources that we had available at the school and in our county. We thought that was really important. Um, And we've tried to just be um, kind of consistent in our approach uh, and, you know, a very simplified message to our staff. I'll I'll jump back to staff. Um, One of the things that we thought was really important was um, uh, kind of um, demonstrating good practices. So we've actually had a faculty meeting um, every morning during the closure, which seems like a lot, but sometimes they're only five minutes and they start our day. So we start at 745 with a faculty meeting. And during that faculty meeting, it gives us a, t- a chance to, to one see each other. Cause I think that's really important. This lack of connection um, I think is one of the hardest things that we're seeing students and staff facing during the closure. And it also gives a routine to our day. So, you know, we know that every day we're going to have a faculty meeting and, Lately, during our faculty meeting, we've shifted a focus away from giving information to sharing collaboratively tips and tricks that have helped us. So we have teachers presenting um, every Monday, Wednesday, usually every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, we have a teacher share something that's been helpful to them that they've learned. And that mm-hmm. has done two things. One, um, teachers that maybe already knew about that tip or trick, I think it affirms that it was a, it was a good idea. Um, and two, it's really opening the door to see what are other departments doing and what are other teachers doing to solve the problems that we're all facing. Because let's be real, not a single person in my school district, parent, student or teacher, Signed up to be at a virtual school. We're, 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 we're not nope. virtual school teachers. We didn't sign up for this. This is not our passion. Um, and so we wanted to find a way to try to make this more efficient for our staff because it's overwhelming. You know, the thought of, of pivoting on a dime to a fully virtual day is very overwhelming. So we wanted to make sure that we were giving, um, you know, a voice to them. Um, And also a voice for them to share with each other what's working and what's not working so that they can kind of collaborate. And a lot of really great ideas have sprung from those meetings. Um, The other thing I think it does is I think it's been able um, for us to kind of demonstrate, you know, how powerful it's been to be able to see each other. Um, Because, you know, going on to a Zoom meeting with a class of high school students is kind of terrifying um, and we wanted to kind of show that there's, there's some real value to it. So mm-hmm. I think it's helped. Um, the other thing that we've been doing to communicate with students is that um, teachers have flexibility in how they do their lessons, but we, we're, our schedule is fairly consistent. We do a.m., p.m. schedule so like our morning periods meet on Monday, our afternoon periods meet on Tuesday, so there's a consistency and a routine. And then the teachers are encouraged to do Zoom classes several times a week, so those, those kids have a chance have a chance to interact with the teachers face-to-face and face-to-face with each other. You know, one of the things that we saw, you know, during during the second week, our middle school teachers started doing some nice little social events. They would do a movie night or a movie afternoon that where all the kids would kind of get together on a Zoom and watch a, watch a short film or watch a video. And they really found that the kids loved that. The kids missed seeing each other. Um, and the kids really missed that kind of – that communication between the students and the teachers, which – you know, that's, that's really, we know that's meaningful. Um, and so we've tried to kind of give them that and, and try to create avenues for them to be able to, um, explore that and, you know, um, capitalize on that. Now, you know, of course we're in a mm-hmm. high school, there are some kids who, you know, at 8:30 AM are not interested in turning on their video. So like, um, but largely, they know that they have that opportunity, and they know that they have that chance to see their teachers. Which I think that the consistency of the knowledge that it's there is super helpful. Um, so that's kind of you know that's that's what we've been looking at. We've been doing uh, we've been doing parent letters home. Sometimes you know for things that are graduation specific, we communicate just with the senior parents. Um, Our principal has done a couple of videos for both the kids and the parents so that they can hear her talking and see her talking. Um, But I really think that, you know, being out there and and being a consistent voice has helped with with our communication. And I think that, you know, our faculty meetings are really helping because our staff knows exactly what's going on day to day. They know what the expectations are. Um, and they know that if they have a question or if they're stuck or if they need help, there's an avenue for them to ask, mm-hmm. you know, the whole, the whole faculty for that, for that input, which I think has been really helpful. Um, I know that I, I, I see a lot of value in it.
0: Um, as we move forward in this, and, you know, I, you said it earlier, we thought it was going to be a few weeks. And then it, now we're not going to come back in uh, for this the rest of the school year. What do you see as the biggest challenge as we move forward?
1: Um, I think the biggest challenge as we move forward is holding on to the integrity that we've had in terms of instructional integrity. I think it's really important that we continue to offer High-quality lessons that we don't phone it in. That um, you know, as a as a nation, that we continue to teach kids because that's what that's what we've all signed up to do. That's our that is our passion. You know, teaching kids is our passion, um, and so I think that that's like the most important thing that I see is is to not get burnt out on the situation or on the the the. The global nature of this situation, but instead Mm -hmm. to focus on trying to make sure that our kids get as far as they can in the curriculum, that they get real instruction that's meaningful, um, and that we continue to try to engage them. Uh, I think that's going to be our biggest challenge. One of the things that we're looking at is how do we engage our students that we've identified as at risk over the summer? We already know that students regress over the summer. We've known that about special education Mm -hmm. students, and we've known that about at-risk students and ELL students, and I think that We need to be mindful of that this year, especially. And so um, we're in the process of developing a plan where those students who are identified as at risk will be getting um, either phone calls or group meetings uh, throughout the summer to have a connection to our school and to our staff. Um, And we're also trying to see what else can we do to facilitate that? Because we know we're not going to be able to run programs. So we're trying to think, what can we do to keep that connection? Because I think that that's the other thing we're facing is that as, you know, we as a society are getting kind of burnout from the lockdown, you know, kids are getting burnout and teachers are getting burnout too. And how do we keep it fresh? How do we keep it energized? And Mm -hmm. how do we make sure that 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 instructional level stays as high as it's been? Because I know, you know, at North Warren, our instructional level has been high. Um, our teachers have been a- extremely mindful of making sure that the kids get the content that they need. Um, so I think that that's going to be one of our biggest challenges. I think the other challenge is going to be just the, the divisive nature of, of when do we open, how do we open. We see it on a national level. We see it on a state level. And, um, you know, I think that being consistent within our regions and working together is going to be, the other thing that we really need to focus on, we need to be having those conversations. I know in our county, we've already started, um, you know, uh, we have task, force, task forces already set up um, to start talking about next year. Um, and, you know, looking at w- what are the barriers, what are the benefits, what are the concerns, what are the plans? Because I think we have to start having that conversation now.
0: Oh yeah, I think, uh, I think that's gonna be this priority uh, after uh, graduation. Um well, talk mm-hmm. about graduation i, I think everyone yeah. in education at least the first pers- the first people I thought of were the seniors uh, uh and I yeah. wasn't the only yeah. one um uh, as this dragged on, they lost a lot of their traditional moments and mm-hmm. celebrations um so how are your seniors been? How have you been trying to help them um because uh, I know everyone in education is concerned about them.
1: Yeah, it's, it is. It's heartbreaking. Um, you know, we've, we've had some calls with our student council and our student leaders. We've sent out surveys to them to try to get their input as to what's important to them. But, I mean, it's just heartbreaking because, you know, there's, there's, there's not a lot that we can do. You know, we're, we're trying to advocate for them um, while still working within and following the direction from the New Jersey State and County Departments of Education. You know, so we're looking at what's the DOE saying? We're looking at what's the Department of Health saying? And now we're working with the prosecutor's office to try to make sure mm-hmm. that um, whatever it is that we plan, that health and safety is our top priority and that we are sure that we're functioning within those guidelines. Um, and so that's been really tricky because, you know, some of the things that have been stated verbally conflict with some of the written directives that we've received. So it's, it's been hard. And, and I feel bad because I feel like the students are just, you know, they're very upset and they want to see something good. Our goal has been to, you know, if we're going forward with a fully virtual graduation, let's make it the best that we can. So, you know, we're using a professional production company, um, and we are taking their input. So we've asked them, what's important to you? Um, You know, what parts of of our traditional standard graduation mean the most to you? Because I I have my ideas, but really – you know, it's their graduation. We wanted to hear from them. So we were able to get some really good information. Um, we got some good ideas and some good topics of things that we're going to integrate into the ceremony so that they'll have a voice. The things that they're identifying are as important we're trying to give voice to, um, and we're trying to figure out how to, how to manage that and, and how to um, kind of incorporate it. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, we're trying to listen, and we're trying to honor them. Um, As much as we can, because it is it's just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for all of our students. I mean, what student ever conceived that they would not finish, you know, that the last day of school would have been a rush of an announcement of the loudspeaker telling them to to get all their stuff in case we don't come back. I mean, that's crazy. That's we've never, you know, in our history ended school that way. And so I think it's just it's a big adjustment. It's a big adjustment. And, you know, the seniors are missing out on a lot. Um, and they have a lot uh, ahead of them. Um, you know, college is probably going to look different for them next year. It's, it's, it's going to be a lot. But that's also why we're trying so hard um, to make sure that they have the instruction they need to, to, to be prepared for that next step um, and to be mindful of, of their feelings through it as well. Um, yeah, it's just I don't, I don't think there's anything other than heartbreaking <laughs> that we can yep. use to describe what we're feeling for them.
0: Yep, and I, and I think yeah. that's across the state. Uh, I know it's across yeah. the state. Um, yeah. Let's end, let's let's end on a more positive note. Uh Two yeah. things. One was there any you know I've heard of some creative things being done by some of the teachers and principals and. Yeah. There's something that someone in your staff did that so you're like, wow, that's a great idea. I never even would have thought of that, or I wish I thought of that. And what are you most proud of the, uh, about your Yeah.
1: Teaching? That's a great question. So, two things. Um, there are, yeah, there's so many things. So, we had, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try to, to, to just quickly touch on a couple of them. And if I go too long, just, just let me know. But, yeah, we um, have about five minutes. So, we so had, have- okay, okay. That's good. We had, so okay. one of the things that surprised me were some of our elective teachers that have really embraced this digital process, um, especially like in our art department. In our um, performing arts and our visual arts, our physical education teachers, they've been so creative in how they've engaged students. They've been using things like Padlet and Flipgrid to have students self critique each other's artwork. Our choral department and our band department have been finding, you know, um, recordings of just these exceptional orchestral pieces, and the students are analyzing those pieces together and they're playing and singing, um, you know, in groups. And it's just been really astounding how some of the non-traditional, um, approaches that these teachers have found that they've embraced to be able to continue their instruction. Um, because that's, you know, we typically don't do online instruction for something like, uh, you know, drawing. So it's, it's been really great to see these teachers kind of think outside the box and how can I, how can I still teach the kids and how can I meet these goals? Um, you know, in a, in a digital platform. Um, we have some of our science teachers figured out a way to do interactive labs. Um, some of our math teachers have found a way to do these interactive problem solving templates. Um, they've been really creative about uh, the, the technology that they're using and how they're making the technology actually benefit their instruction um, and become sort of incorporated into the meaning of the lesson, which has been really great to see um, one of the other things that, um, you know, I've been really proud of is our students have just jumped in and volunteered. We have a group of students who are sewing masks for our, um, you know, our frontline responders. And we have our robotics team actually got a jump. I, I would say within the first week of us being closed, they reached out to some of their benefactors. Um, so we have a FIRST Robotics team, and they have corporate sponsors for their robotics competitions. And one of the sponsors, they were able to actually coordinate with them to get 15 additional 3d printers. And they have been 3d printing masks, ear guards and um, other things that help with the elastic on, on the bands. They've been 3d printing them since day one. We've now produced thousands of personal protective equipment items. And we've been, Reaching out, we um, have made donations through our county Office of Emergency Management, but we've also reached out to the nursing homes in our area to make sure that they had face guards and, and shields. The feedback we got from the nurses and the, the frontline workers in the nursing homes were that some of the patients couldn't tolerate wearing a mask, so we made them face shields so that they could still wear something to keep them um, safe while they're, you know, while they're interacting with, with other residents. We also were able to do a huge donation to um, the VA hospital that's in our region. And they had this, a similar concern that there were patients that couldn't wear masks on their face. And so we donated face shields to them so that they could have something. We also donated a lot of, they're called ear guards. They're like these little plastic things that clip together that make the mask not touch your ears. Which for a lot of um, a lot of people with any kind of sensory issue or discomfort, this is making it a lot more tolerable to wear a mask. So our students actually designed the product. They got you know a template online. They didn't like the template. They tweaked it. They got something a little bit better, and they've been pushing those out um, to to these different groups that. Um, you know, are, are, are underserved and that really needed the devices. So that's been great. I, you know, what great initiative of, of our teachers and our students to facilitate that and to promote that. Um, I just thought that was incredible. Um, and what an amazing learning experience for these kids that, that they actually, you know, took these, uh, took these uh, graphic templates and figured out how to make them into a better product. So they actually improved upon, the templates that we were getting from, you know, from, from these national vendors that were making them. So, so proud of them for all of that. I'm so proud of my staff. I think that they have jumped in. They, their priority is so clearly on our students and on keeping learning going. Um, you know, my administrators who've jumped in to co-teach classes, um, making sure that, that our teachers are supported, um, and, you know, our students for participating. We, we were worried about a spike in at-risk kids, and we've really not seen that. And so I'm, I'm oh. so proud of our students and our parents. I know this is overwhelming to parents. I know it is. Um, and they've, you know, they've stepped up, and they've been supportive, and they've been helping us, and we've been working together to try to make sure that the kids are logging on and getting the work done, so it's been it's been incredible. I, you know I'm really proud of just our community and how our community has come together um, to do this because this is this is scary. Um, you know it's a scary time to be to be living in, and it's uh, it's really disheartening how people have come together and and how immediately our students sought to ask the question, "How can we help?" And they jumped right in with it. So that's what I think I'm most proud of.
0: Okay, well we'll we'll'll we'll end uh, the podcast on that happy note. Uh even yeah, it's been wonderful. a trying time. I think I think we have yeah. seen uh uh I, I don't think more collaboration among everyone in education, from the, the board to the administrators mm-hmm. to the teachers to everyone that works in the in the in the buildings. Uh there's been a tremendous uh collaboration about the kids. So I like to thank Sarah Belgi yeah. for joining me on this uh podcast. And good luck with the rest yeah, of your thank school you year, Sarah. Me. Okay, Absolutely. and that Thank brings us to the end. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Okay, and that's the end of our episode. I Thank hope you, you all have a good uh afternoon.
1: Thank you.